0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, it's nice to to practice with you. you know, I, I know I said, ever pretend in your practice, something like that, but then you know what I thought of? I thought of Carol Wilson saying, Fake metta is better than real aversion any day. Yeah. That stuck with me. That's true. Yeah. But kind of kidding aside, uh, I do feel like we want to be careful about pretending. And sometimes the Brahma Vahara realm feels like a zone Where we're being enlisted to pretend something, and the heart rebels against that sense of um, inauthenticity, and so the encouragement is to find find our own ways. Like, how can we have this really intimate encounter with the moment, and find ways of practicing that um, that feel Real, alive, true, so um, the 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 Buddha said that yeah um, suggested that that fear and wanting are two sides of the same coin, the coin of uh of clinging, Yeah. And uh, sometime, I, don't, I don't like to kind of trot out neuroscience so often, but uh, sometimes I read something that reminds me a lot of Dharma. So um, the point is not to get <clears throat> the science exactly, but to hear the resonance with what, what this tradition offers. So this is uh, Shelley Warlow and um, her colleague uh, Kent Barrage. So motivational salience can occur with either positive valence as incentive or negative valence as fear. And it's possible to flip the valence between the two forms under some conditions. Despite being affectively opposite, the two may still share some neural and psychological features. Neurally, both may engage mesolimbic systems, including dopamine signals in the uh, nucleus accumbens. Consistent with an amygdala role in bivalent, positive and negative motivational salience, um, some neurons can respond to both aversive outcomes or rewarding outcomes or to their predictive cues. Rather than strictly encoding only reward or fear per se, some neurons might integrate sensory information, context, and motivational state to assign motivational salience with positive or negative valence to particular targets, making them either wanted or feared. Wanting and fear they seem about as far apart as possible, but maybe uh, they're closer siblings than they might appear. Um, scientist K. Tai, she says, uh, fear has an authoritarian command over the rest of the brain. And Thich Nhat Hanh said, um, Fearlessness is the ultimate joy. And so, metta practice, heart practice, is really um, about stepping out of wanting and stepping out of fear. And sometimes we step out of that, and there's just love. But um, but sometimes metta practice, of course, is um, we step out of wanting and fear by getting really close to it. So anxiety uh, depends uh, on avoidance to some measure, yeah? and the the medicine around anxiety is actually to approach the feared experience. We drain the affective emotional charge from our anxiety and avoidance by doing the opposite, by moving towards. And mindfulness is one way of moving towards. It's an approach orientation. All of Mindfulness is an approach orientation. We permit our pain into awareness. But in a sense, um, love is like the fullest approach we can make with our pain. With our love, we get, we get so close to what is unresolved in our heart that we begin to habituate to it, and that pain loses some of its uh, electrical charge. You start to uh, the the metta actually starts to be a way of of digesting digesting fear. This was you know one of the the classical ways that, that uh, metta is prescribed for fear. Yeah. We're stepping out of, of, of fear and, and out of uh, wanting or controlling, right? Because we know there is attached love, you know, a love that, include some measure of possessiveness and and there's the love that is a pure giving no controlling yeah and attached love that sounds bad in buddhist spheres right but it's okay like we're gonna have to pick our spots i feel as humans maybe especially as lay people people with with partners or children uh parents and commitments some measure of uh attachment is um i think inevitable i i saw a friend um who i've known for for many years now and i've known his daughter uh, who's now 13 since since her birth and um and I asked asked him, you know, how, how are you? And he quoted, uh, I think it's Susan Orlean, uh, the writer. Um, he said, um, a parent is only as happy as their least happy child. Uh, and I don't even have kids, but I know enough to just be touched by that sentiment, you know? okay, yeah, only as happy as as the least happy child, you know, some measure of, uh, I don't know what we want to call that, Um, the complexities of these bonds, these karmically rich bonds with people that I don't think can be Purified of all clinging, or something like that? Can we consent to that? Can we bear that with grace? And, and we cultivate the love that is without conditions, uh, that is um, a warmth without control or possession. The, the warmth, the, the, the kindness of, of metta, which is a kind of simple friendliness and kindness while wishing the proximate cause being seeing the goodness, seeing goodness, love in the face of goodness. There's an image of a, a mother cow gazing at her calf, yeah. And um uh, sometimes we're the mother cow, sometimes we're the calf. But we we sense goodness. Yeah, there is well wishing. And just for me, amidst this this kind of cycle of um of grieving, you know, I've become so sensitive to goodness. Like, uh, just just little bits of it that I see in others, you know. Uh, if I'm going to cry, that's what's going to make me do it. Goodness is going to make me cry. And um, there's a phenomena in... In uh, psychology known as moral elevation, where witnessing good, witnessing goodness, yeah, witnessing acts of moral beauty inspires and elevates us, and we become more devoted to goodness in seeing it. We become the kind of wholesome, pro-social um, Movement of our own heart is drawn out by witnessing it, right? We become very... This practice makes us very sensitive to goodness. And loving kindness is being moved by your own goodness. It's being moved by it. It's not the goodness we put on our resume or something. Yeah? and as i said in the the sit it's not even like well i'll offer this love like because of yeah you get into the because of and then there's always the contradictory whatever you know you get into debates about worthiness and deserving and all this and it's like no 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 not because of i'm just offering care yeah being moved moved by your own goodness and to abide in this is um very healing very healing and um not self-indulgent it will connect us more deeply with all beings and uh, a sense of of warmth of radiating from our heart. There's sometimes just as we get quiet, there's nothing but warmth. There's nothing on the other side of our love. And emerging from that, emerging from that, it really dramatizes the pain of hatred, of divisiveness, of separation, of aversion. Hatred becomes less and less tenable, less and less tenable. And so sometimes metta is abiding in love and sometimes it is lowering our, our resistance, bringing uh, love to what needs love. Because um, the truth of dukkha, that needs to be mourned. For a long time, and that takes love. It really is um, often almost unbelievable that being human is like this. Being human is like this. That's going to take some love to open to. And, um, And the metta practice, it helps kind of, um, sometimes we just cannot feel something until the love thaws out something in our heart. And so in these ways, metta is is both, it's a purification practice and it's a practice of cultivation. Many, many blessings of metta. So um, stop and um, yeah, I wish you all um, much, uh, much goodness today. Yeah. Let us, let us be attuned to the signs of goodness in ourselves and others. Open our heart to that today. Okay. Thank you.